The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. What I want to talk about this morning is the facts of eternal life. First John is absolutely full of truth about eternal life. Jesus says in John 17, which is a record of his priestly prayer before he died, he says in the midst of that, he says, this is the purpose of eternal life. He's talking to the Father, and he says that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the purpose of eternal life is that we may know God intimately and may know the Son as well. And so this is what he wants from us. He wants us to come to know him in a very clear way. And uh, in, in 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Let me read the, the section we're going to look at primarily. First, it's uh, 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses. Listen to what it says. Whoever believes, whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. If you love God, you love his children. He isn't saying you should. He says you do. If you, lo- if you truly love the Father, you love his children. If you're not loving his children, you're not loving the Father, in other words. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Uh, I don't know how that hits you, but that's, that's a, it's repeated several times that if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. One of his commandments is, love my children. And so, obviously, if we're going to obey his commandments, we'll be loving his children. His children are those who have eternal life. Eternal life is the life of God, and so the, the life that we received is e- eternal life, and this eternal life is the very life of God. And that's what's called the new birth, or being born, or regenerated, born again. We receive the life of God. By this we know that we, are, we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They don't make you feel like there's something you just can't carry. That word burdensome means too heavy to bear for one person. For whatever is born of God, or whoever is born of God, if you prefer, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. The world system is designed in such a way by Satan that he wants you to live your life without loving God. He wants to offer you many other things for you to love instead of God. And he says, who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only. He's talking about the water he's talking about is the baptismal water that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, the reason he was is John the Baptist was sent into the world to identify the Messiah so that people would know who he is. And uh, he was going to identify him by baptizing him in water. And that's what he did. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, with the water, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. His blood, of course, is talking about his death on the cross. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. You remember, you could see the Spirit descending, if you remember, like a dove that came down out of heaven and and lighted on Jesus Christ. That was to identify him as the Son of God, the Messiah. Messiah simply means the anointed one, and he's the anointed one because he is the Father's Son. He is what's called the one and only Son of God. He is completely unlike anybody else. He is the very Son of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses 
today, they follow the teaching of a man who once said, there was a time when he was not talking about Jesus Christ. There was a time when God the Son did not exist. That's a lie. That's not the truth. He's, he's existed from all eternity. He's eternal. And that's what the Bible says over and over again. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son, the one who believes in the Son of God and has the testimony in himself concerning the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Uh, he has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar. He's saying, you're making God a liar if you deny that these things are true because he has said they're true. Uh, the testimony that God has given concerning his Son and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has the life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And this is a fascinating phrase that he starts with over in chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has in the past already been born of God. He's saying this is the proof, this is the evidence that you have been born of God, is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that means that we love God. And he says, whoever loves the Father loves the child. I don't think that's hard to understand, is it? I have uh, three children. I love my wife, and I love her children, and they're my children too. <laughs> and that's just how it is, isn't it? And this is what he is saying, is all those who have come to faith in Christ and have become children of God, we love them the same way we love the Father. And he says, if you love the Father, you love his children. That's the point. We've been marked by this work of God in our lives in the sight of demons and angels uh, as a human that is different. These events have brought your body into touch with eternity and with the eternal God. The two great gifts that God has given us is, first of all, a new status with God. He has declared us to be righteous. That's called justification. When we believed on Christ, God justified us. That just means he declared us to be righteous with him. The Bible says that there's only one lawgiver and judge. That's God himself and Jesus Christ. He is the lawgiver and the judge. And he himself, the ultimate lawgiver and judge, has declared the believer, the person who puts his faith in Christ, as being perfectly righteous. That's what it means. He has declared us to be righteous in his eyes. And then he also gave us a new birth from God. That's called regeneration. When a person places faith in Christ, he becomes a child of God, those through spiritual birth. God implants his own life in the believer. That's, that's exactly what the Bible says over and over again, that we have received eternal life, which is the life of God, from the Father when we believed on his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God imparts his own life in the believer. This should uh, raise some important questions in our mind, questions like, what is this life like? What is it like to have eternal life? And how can you tell when you have it? What uh, difference does it make? This little passage that we're looking at, First John 5, the first five verses, answers some of these questions about the facts of eternal life. By this new birth or regeneration, eternity invaded space and reestablished a permanent link between your personality and the living God who has eternal life. And Jesus himself is the one who said what eternal life is is so that we can know God and Jesus Christ, his Son, whom he sent. So you might not have felt it when you were born again, but if you were born again, 
some things happened that are unbelievable. They're really incredible. It's a form of life that will enable you one day to inhabit eternity, just like your biological life that you have now enables you to live in this time-space reality on earth. So the life that entered you uh, at salvation is the life of God himself. Your earthly parents gave life from their bodies, which became uh, your life when you were born. In the same way, God is imparting to you your life, and it became in very deed and, and of your heavenly Father. You are a child of God in a literal sense, not a metaphorical sense, but in a literal sense. You're a child of God because you have his life in you. This life must grow and develop. As it does, you will reflect more and more the likeness of the Father from whom this life came. And that's, that's just how it is in, in all of life. Uh, we see children who grow up in a home, and they begin to take on the qualities of their parents, if they have good parents. And uh, this is what happens to us as we live our lives as Christians. We begin to take on the very qualities of the living God in the way that we love people and uh, the way that we want to see justice done and righteousness done, and righteousness worked out in the life of his children. So if you have eternal life, you'll believe in Jesus. That's what he's saying here in verse 2, that you will believe in Jesus if you have eternal life. That's interesting, because he doesn't say, you have eternal life because you believed. He's saying, you believe because you have eternal life. That might do some things to our theology that would shake us up a bit, but that's what he says. It's the fact that we have eternal life, is the reason that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, you probably have had conversations where you're trying to convince a person that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And sometimes you're very surprised that you can't get anywhere. You can't even get an inch. And the reason is it's a supernatural event that must take place. The Spirit of God must open the eyes of a person for them to come to see the truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we come to know him because we have received the life of the Father, and just as it enables us to know the Father, it also enables us to know him that he sent into the world, the, the Son. So uh, in John 17, it says that what we believe, the object of our faith, was God himself. But the content of our faith, what we believe about uh, this God, is what he has said. What he has said about his Son is what we believe about Jesus Christ. That's the content of what he said. This is why uh, there's a passage over in Colossians where he's talking about Epaphras, who was a leader in the church, and he, he had walked with the Lord, and he had been faithful, and he'd been serving Christ. And so when Paul writes to him, he says, ever since I heard about that, I haven't stopped uh, seeking to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that I might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. That means I, the way that I'm going to grow is by coming to know what God has revealed to us through his word. The word of God is God's gift to us, and he has done more than that. He has actually changed our hearts so that we can understand the word. A believer can understand the word because he has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent so that he would open our eyes and open our heart and then let us see and understand this revelation that can be difficult to understand, can it? it can, we can see things in there that seem to be contradictory at times, but... Uh, what we have come to learn over time as we spend time in it is it isn't contradicting. In fact, it's, it's, uh, it is completely consistent with the rest of the testimony of Scripture. So we have to believe that God has what he has said about Jesus Christ, his person and his work. This is who he is, and this is what he does. He saves people for all eternity. 
In 2 John chapter 9, uh, the mark of a false believer is this, person who is not a believer. They tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. You ever have a boss like that? You know, who constantly told you what to do, but never, ever lifted a finger to help you do what was difficult. And he says, this is why the commandments of God are not burdensome, because God is the one who loves you. And when he gives you commandments, he gives you commandments because of his love for you, not because he wants to prove to you that you don't have all the strength in the world. So what he's bringing to our mind is, if you have eternal life, you'll love God and you'll love his children. And you'll want to see them walk in the power of the Spirit to please him in all respects. So if you have eternal life, you'll love God and you'll love his children. But doesn't everybody love God? Isn't that true? Isn't it it true that everybody in the world loves God? No, it's not true. And that's not what the Bible says. It says that people do not love God unless the Spirit of God does a work in their life and changing their heart and changing their attitude. I had a record so long I couldn't tell you how long it was. But when I look back and think about all the ways that I ignored God, before I came to faith in Christ. It's amazing to me how patient God is, isn't it? Maybe you're one of those people that you were saved and you're so surprised that God ever saved you because you had such a long list of things that you lived in disobedience to him. You wouldn't obey his commandments, but he saved you. And he says, now because you love him, you'll obey his commandments. And this is exactly what what he wants of us. He wants us to be blessed by obeying his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, what that means is this, that this is a God who loves you, and it's a God who has manifested his love towards you so that when he gives you his commandments, you want to obey them because of his love for you. That's exactly what you do with your children. You give them commandments because you love them, and they obey those commandments because they love you. And if they don't obey them, they're having a struggle about that. So this present continuing activity of believing, as we're told in the beginning of this text, people believing on Jesus, uh, this is talking about this continuing activity that's going on and on and on. And what it does is it testifies to the fact that something has happened. Something incredible has happened. You have come into this place of being born of God. You have been born of God, and therefore you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has been born again. You might think, well, wait a minute, couldn't you, couldn't you possibly believe in Jesus Christ, but you wouldn't get saved until much later? No, because you are saved through faith. You are saved by believing the truth, the testimony concerning Jesus Christ, and counting it to be true. And when you believe that, you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember the Philippian jailer had, who in Colossae, he threw uh, Paul and his whole party into jail. They threw him into jail because he because they didn't like what his message was and they didn't like his technique. And so they threw him into jail. And this is the way the law worked. If you were a jailer and you had a jail right close to your house, if the prisoners escaped, it would cost you your life. And so what happened was one night, they're all in this whole party. Paul and all of his companions are there in that prison. And there's an earthquake. And all of their shackles come off. And this jailer comes outside feeling this earthquake, and he looks over at the jail and he sees all these men in there, and he's thinking, oh no, what's, what's going on here? If they escaped, he's going to die. And so what Paul said to him, don't harm yourself. We're all here 
We're all going to be right here. Don't worry about it. We're going to be faithful to you. What he did was, because of this, it really impressed him. And so he asked the, the disciples, he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What do you think the answer was? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what he said. It's simple, isn't it? That's Acts, Acts 16.31. And it tells you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That is the one condition of salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. What he did, he came into the world. He was tried and convicted and hung on a cross in a horrible way. It was the most horrible kind of death that you could imagine. It wouldn't be legal today. There's no way that you could, you could have a crucifixion in our country because of the law. They wouldn't allow that to, be, to happen to anybody. But it was horrible what he suffered. But he did that to show us how much he loved us. He was willing to pay their penalty in full in order to set us free from our sin. This is what he has done for us. Uh, and so the validity of faith is in its object. What are you believing? That's what matters. It isn't just faith in general. It's not just believing that the sky's up and the earth is down. It's believing the truth about Jesus Christ. And so that's what's powerful. It's believing the right object. Uh, we're told in, John, in Luke 17 that the object of faith is God. But in that context, he says, he's talking about, he says that God is the object of our faith, but the content of what he said is the content of our faith. This is what we believe about Jesus. We believe about Jesus what the Father said about him. He bore testimony of him, and we believe his testimony about his own son. He's the only one who could possibly know, isn't he? He's the one who has lived from all eternity, and so he knows his son, and he tells us the truth about his son. And uh, if we believe his testimony, we are the object of our faith is God the Father, and the content of our faith is what he has said about his son. And so the God is the object, and what he has said is the content. Now, mark, uh, the, a mark of the true child of God is, is that they don't tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, and they're not unwilling to lift a finger. I remember when we unloaded the, uh, the sheetrock at the church building, it, that's, that, those things were so heavy. There were two of them bound together. They're 10 foot long, and uh, I was carrying one. And the guy that was helping me stepped aside, so I got this whole thing myself. I think I can do it. I got about halfway in and kind of dropped it. I didn't drop it completely, but I dropped it enough to hit the ground and took a big chunk out of it. So if you ever see a piece of sheetrock up down there <laughs> and it's got a big corner missing, it's mine. Uh, but I couldn't do it. I didn't have the ability to do it. And so what God does is what he commands us to do is what he enables us to do. His commandments are not burdensome. And this is the reason he loves us. Isn't it much easier for you to take commandments from someone who loves you? I remember the first song I ever learned. It was in, oh, we lived in Oakland in an apartment house, and my mom taught me this song. She was making a bed. She was teaching me how to make a bed. And uh, as she's across the bed from me, she's singing this song, and she's telling me what it means and, and getting me to learn it. It was called, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Well, there's a line in that song that says, because he first loved me. So she felt obligated. She had to tell me, what does it mean he first loved me? Well, he first came into the world and he died for your sins. And I'm a little kid. I haven't had time to sin. 
I mean, I was like five or six years old. How could she say that he died for my sin? And uh, I guess she had some inside knowledge, of course. But uh, I believed her. And that's when I first heard the gospel, that Jesus came to die for our sins. And he was buried and rose again. And that's what she did. She unfolded all that to me. And that was good news. And the and she let me know in a very clear way, a little bitty child, she let me know in a very clear way, you have to put your trust in Jesus. You have to believe that he is who God says he is and that he has done what God says he has done. He died for our sins. He, was, he died, this is 1 Corinthians 15, it says he died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And he was seen. And he mentions a whole bunch of people he was seen by. Then he said he was seen by a thousand people. We believe the testimony of the Father, what the Father says about the Son. We believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what our faith is. It's believing in Christ and believing that he is able to deliver us, to save us, to remove the guilt of sin from us, and to give us life indeed. So if you have eternal life, you'll love God and you'll love his children. Isn't that wonderful to know? That if you're born of God, you will love God's children and you will love God. It's just an effect. It's, it's something that always happens. And that's what he's saying here in 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, whoever is believing, that's what he's talking about right now, whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has in the past been born of God. Because you won't believe in Jesus until you're born again. But the new birth is the most wonderful truth in all the world. Because you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he gave him a compliment. He says, you know, we know you're from God because... and." Nicodemus was called the teacher of Israel. He was the chief teacher of Israel, so he should know everything about the Bible. And he uh, he came to Jesus and gave him a big compliment. You're, you know, we know you must be from God because nobody could do these things that you do if he wasn't from God. And Jesus says, this is how he took the, this compliment. He says, hey, nobody can see the kingdom or enter into the kingdom unless they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you have to come to be born of God in order to believe these things. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine as responding like that to a man who's complimented you and who's elevated you way up and said, man, you're, you're something special. And he says, you can't see the kingdom of God and you can't enter the kingdom of God until you've been born again. And that's when Nicodemus said, how can that be? How can it be possible for a person to be born again? I'm a middle-aged man. Can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? And he says, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need this regeneration. You need the Spirit of God to do a work in you so that you receive the very life of God. And when you, that happens, you're going to begin to love God and to begin to love His Son and begin to love His sons in the world. This is what He does. It's not something you can do on your own. It's something that He causes to take place. He is the one who gives you the Spirit and the Spirit is the one who gives you the power to love his children and to love God himself and to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he says. And, and so when he says in John 17, verse 3, he says, this is, this is eternal life. Because they've been talking about eternal life on and on. And Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is the meaning of eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God, he's talking to the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. How are you ever going to know God? How are you ever going to know the Son? You must have the Spirit. The Spirit has to do a work in your life to open your eyes and open your heart for you to understand who Jesus Christ really is. Why in the world 
would the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, descend to this earth and go through what he went through just to save you and me? Why would he do that? Because he loves us. It's amazing. It's an amazing truth that he loves us, and therefore he died for us, and he was raised for us. And because we believed him, we trusted him. We trusted the testimony about him. Uh, back in Isaiah 53, which is, was written 750 years before Jesus came to the earth, but it's all about Jesus. In fact, I heard a Jewish person on YouTube, I think it was, who said, uh, you know, I was reading my Bible, my Jewish Bible, and I came to Isaiah 53, and it was all about Jesus. I'm wondering, what is Jesus doing in my Bible? And, and he was right. That's exactly who it's about. It's all about his life, exactly how he lived. And it's, it's all known. What happened was that God not only wanted to send his son, he wanted to send messengers who would make it clear to everybody who his son is and why he is able to save us and to forgive us and to make us into uh, the sons of God. This is what happens when a person becomes a child of God. That's what happened when you had a child. It became your son or daughter. And when you were born again, you became a child of God. And God began to think of you as his child. And he began to enter into interaction with you that impacted your life in so many ways that you're not even aware of. But this is exactly what he does. And when he command, gives us commands, they're not burdensome. The reason they're not burdensome is simply because he loves you. And you can tell that. If you read the commandments and you're careful in uh, paying attention to what's going on, you'll see that he gives us commandments because he loves us. If you gave your son a commandment, don't ever do drugs. And he said, why would you say that? You could say, because I love you. Couldn't you? That's what you could say, because I love you. It isn't because it's just against the law. But let me tell you, God has something for you that's so unbelievable, so wonderful. It's eternal life. And when he gives you eternal life, first of all, you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. You will begin to walk with him. You'll begin to see him as he really is. He is the one who has life, and he gives it to all who believe on him and trust him. And that's what it's all about. So the validity of our faith is, uh, is the, the object of our faith. What I mean by that is, what would be better to have, you know, to have just real strong, exuberant faith that everybody could see the way you talk and so forth? Or would it be to have an object that was trustworthy? Or, you know, say that you're walking, you're walking along a lake that's got a frozen top on it, and the guy comes walking across it or crawling across it on his hands and feet, and he's just barely making any progress because he's so afraid he's going to break the ice. And then a guy comes alongside him in a big old pickup, big Dodge pickup, and he just roars across the lake. Well, he has, he has what you call strong faith, but not in the object. His faith is in himself. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to have faith, even if it's weak faith, he wants you to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's, he's the only one. He's the Savior of the world. There's no one else who can save. There's no one else who can deliver from the, the punishment of sin in their life except Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And whoever believes, whoever believes in, this, in the Son has salvation. He's everyone that does believe and trust him. The Father saves him and brings him into his family and makes him a member of his family. One of the things that God says over and over again is he wanted to have, he wanted his family to be 
that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. So he wants to save a whole lot of people. And what he wants is he wants to have people who have come to put their trust in Christ. And so he has, uh, he becomes the firstborn among many brethren. I've been to the Philippines and different places. And I got to tell you, it's amazing to meet Christians anywhere in the world. They could have completely different culture, different habits and so forth. But uh, people who love Christ and have entered into the family of God and understand the gospel are so refreshing to be around, even if you can't understand their language, <laughs> because, because they love the right person. They have come to see the value in Jesus Christ, and that's what he's called us to. And um, so these commandments that he's talking about, that God's commandments are not burdensome, they're very difficult. They're really hard to obey the commandments of God. He tells us we should love one another like Jesus loved us. You know what that means? You should, we should love each other in such a way that we would be willing to die for each other. That's what he says. So they're, they're very difficult. Uh, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That's an impossible command, isn't it? Why is it not weigh you down and make you feel like that's too heavy to bear? It's because he, you know he loves you. He has given you this commandment because he loves you. And that's why he's given us all of his commandments is because of his love for us. And so if you have eternal life, you'll obey the Father. That's one of the characteristics of having faith, having faith in Jesus Christ, is you will obey the Heavenly Father. So what kind of obedience is this? Well, he says uh, this is obedience that comes out of a response to one who loves us so much he sent his only son into the world to redeem us from sin and bring us into his family. This is why we are willing to listen to his commandments. And we are willing to trust the Spirit to empower us to fulfill those commandments. He's constantly uh, telling us this, that uh, even though they're, they're burdensome from the perspective of they're not easy, they are not burdensome in the sense that God is just putting something on you that he doesn't want to do himself. He wants you to obey the commandments because the commandments is the kind of life that you will enjoy and that you will, you will genuinely uh, be blessed by. If you obey the commandments of God, he tells us to love one another. I don't know. I don't know any, any greater commandment than that for us to love each other. Remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the first one would be easier to do, wouldn't it? Because we have a perfect God. We could love him because he has no flaws at all. But you've probably noticed that most Christians have flaws. <laughs> I think all Christians have flaws, right? We're broken people, and we understand that. We understand that we need a Savior, and that's why we've believed on this Savior, because we came to see that we needed his salvation that would set us free from all of the guilt and bondage that sin could bring. So uh, God's design is that we uh, come to have new life through an intimate, loving relationship. He wants to plant his seed in us, and he wants us to come to love him and to know him and to live our lives for him. And so uh, no one who has been uh, born of God practices sin. That's what the Bible says, First John 3, 9. It doesn't say you never sin. I remember in, in a church I grew up in, the denomination, they had this thing where they would take questions every year at their manual meeting, 
And one of the questions was, I saw in a piece of literature, was, uh, do believers sin? And the answer was, yes. 1 John 3.9. But 1 John 3.9 doesn't say, uh, no, it said no. The believer doesn't sin because the, the Bible says, he who is born of God does not sin. But what that passage is saying, this is a present tense with a negative on it. It says, the, the one who is born of God will not continue in sin. He can't live in sin. It doesn't mean he's perfect. Have you noticed there, isn't, there aren't any perfect Christians that never sin? That they're all like us, that we need forgiveness? Isn't it something that what God, the way he deals with sin, you'd think that he would deal with sin in our lives by eliminating it so we never sin again. But instead, what he does is he makes us confess our sins. He tells us to confess our sins. This is how we deal with sin in our life, is by confessing it, which means saying the same thing about it that he does. And, and Jesus Christ, having died for our sins, we can ask him for forgiveness and know he gives it. He gives us forgiveness and sets us free from the bondage of sin in our lives. And so what I would, I would pray that, uh, for example, you have been saved so that you would love fellow believers, so you would know God and know Jesus Christ and love fellow believers. Love them and uh, treat them in ways that manifest your love for them. That's one of the most wonderful things I heard the other day about a couple of ladies that went out and passed out flowers to uh, ladies in our church who had gone through some real difficult times. One of them lost a husband. Another one had some other problems. And uh, I thought, you know, that's, that is the fulfillment of this command, that we are to love one another. We are to care about what's going on in each other's lives. And uh, we shouldn't have to have people call us and say, do you have any experience in uh, helping people with anxiety? They should be able to say, you should be able to say to them simply, you know, I've been reading the Bible, it says I shouldn't have anxiety, but I, man, I've got a load of anxiety. You have any insight? Yes, we have insight. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you can't understand it. When God gives you peace and you think, why am I having peace? Everything is falling apart. But this is what God does for us. And he wants us to simply trust him and put our, all of our trust on him and rely upon him. And you can do that because of who he is. There will never be a day when God says to the church, you know, I'm getting a little bit tired. I would really appreciate it if about 50% of you would stop asking for so many things. Uh, he, he never does that. He encourages us to ask him. He encourages us to come to him and give our requests to him and tell him what we need. He is the God, James says, he is the God who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid. That's almost a title for God. He's the God who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid. He doesn't, he doesn't get down on you because you're asking again. I ask God for stuff every day. I ask him to deliver me from certain things and uh, help me in certain ways. And I've never heard him say, will you please shut up for a while? I'm so tired of hearing all these requests. No, he is perfectly competent. He has the ability to deal with our lives and he isn't going to shortchange you. He wants you to, if he sent his son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You know what that means? He, if, if he's given you the best thing that he has, the very most precious thing that he has, which is his own son. How could he possibly not give you anything else that you need? 
he will provide it for you. That's, that's who he is. And he is a God who does not upbraid. He's a God who gives liberally. He gives far beyond what we expect. He's a wonderful father. And so let me pray for you. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for the grace that we have experienced in Christ. We thank you, Father, for a tr- that you led us to trust him. And because we've trusted him, we've experienced the most wonderful kind of truths and realities in our life. We have a Savior who is for us and not against us. We have a Savior who pleads for us. We have a Savior that we can come to and be honest with him and tell him the truth about our lives. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We're so thankful for that, that we can, we can speak the truth in love. We know that he cares about us. So we pray that you'd work in our lives this week. Father, manifest the reality of the presence of Christ in all of our lives, we pray. Uh, motivate us to love one another. Motivate us, Father, to walk in obedience to your commandments about the way that we treat people, the way that we live our lives on this earth. We ask you, Father, please manifest your mighty power in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.